It's a joy to be here with you this morning to explore the idea of emergence. Thank you for taking time out of your lives. I know some of you are in the habit of coming to church, and some of you came because I invited you or for another reason. However you have arrived, just know I'm grateful to be in this space with you. When I was first invited to speak today, I got excited for the first time in a long time at the prospect of giving a sermon. It's the first time I've, expected a, I've accepted a public speaking invitation in many months. Some of that had to do with personal life things happening, like saying goodbye to my mother who passed away in November, like being unexpectedly asked to leave from a home I had known for nearly four years in the middle of winter, but some of it had to do with immense feelings of inadequacy after being somewhat quickly thrust into a very public spotlight. The shift from largely a background volunteer organizer and small-time fundraiser to co-founder of the Black Lives Matter Minneapolis chapter to executive director of a $5.3 million organization that I also helped to co-found called the Black Lives of the Unitarian Universalism. Thank you. Also known as Blue. Um, that all happened in a, in a period of less than three years. When I look at other people's career trajectories, mine is a bit of a steep curve. Um, it's a little bit like trying to drink water from a fire hose. It's been glorious and it's been hard. But when I reflect on why this journey that I'm on happens, it actually has a lot to do with this idea of emergence as I'm coming to understand it. Blue em emerged as a response to a need through a space made, curated, and, cu and cultivated intentionally. And like my public life, my personal life has a lot to do with this idea of emergence as well. If we understand emergence as creating space to find new responses to the needs that arise and these needs that change over time, and maybe there's some magic mixed in there too, and a whole series of things I don't quite yet understand. But whatever I, I do, but whatever I know about emergence, it's that ideas, projects, and creating more of what we want to see in the world doesn't just come out of nothingness. Or just to put it really simply, nothing emerges out of nothing. With intention and cultivation, we can build the communities, the love we want to see in the world, but not without also making space to continually become more and more aware of our privilege and constantly understanding that power is important to the solutions that we come up with and understanding that power and privilege. So I'm gonna try to stir all of this up need, response, love, privilege, and power, and hopefully we can come out with some kernels of knowledge or bits of, of, of wisdom that I believe may have been guiding my work or that I'm just discovering, and hopefully these kernels will make our time together worth it. But it's a journey, so let's go. I have, since high school and before, deeply struggled to find where I belonged. And sure, every teenager has these struggles, of course. And then there are some of us that struggle a little more because we may be on the fringes of identities. We also may be experiencing more structural oppression than others. What I mean by this specifically for me is that culturally I'm a black, middle-class, cisgender woman, but there's more to the story. I'm racially mixed. I'm not all white. I'm not all black. And I'm not all Oneida Indian. I'm all of that with some other stuff thrown in for good measure, which means I have light skin privilege, 
And while I can never pass for white, I do have privileges that my adopted brother, who's dark-skinned, who's performed at this church before, he doesn't have those privileges. My bloodline is literally a tale of colonization and destruction. And this mix, hey, it makes for pretty eyes, and it can also make for a very lonely heart at times. I once wrote, I fit in nowhere, but I can blend in almost anywhere, so maybe I fit in everywhere. Even if that's true, fitting in, which to be clear, I've never done all that well, isn't the same as belonging. Feeling as though I didn't belong anywhere at different times in my life has caused me great pain. Being queer and single for the vast majority of my adulthood is just weird now that I'm 35. But what came of all of this need to belong and weirdness, these pains of living at the intersections of multiple identities? Community has come. Joy has come. Love has come. But they didn't come out of nowhere. I first had, and I continue every day, to do the internal work to cultivate a sense of self that wasn't based upon the world, what the world thought of me. I had to believe I wasn't this body, but that I was loved. This church was actually one of the first places I truly felt that and could let that sink in. By taking that seed and planting it inside and being a part of this community and others, I, I became to know that I was loved and I began cultivating that soil of my interior world. I was transformed over years. My inter interior world became a place where I could chip away at the alienation and ugliness that the outside world poisons all of our hearts with. And I said, I can choose love. Love for my blackness, love for my identities that I will never fully understand because they've been taken from me. Even though her blood runs through me, Claudia Metoxin of the United Tribe of Wisconsin, my great-grandmother, I will never know her people as my own or as I know my blackness. So I have to cultivate the landscape inside and let go of the sadness, the sense of unnameable loss, the shame of it all, and I just have a choice each day to continue to choose love. And I've had so much help along the way. Some of those folks are sitting in this room and it's still my choice every day to receive or reject that, that help, to receive or reject that love. And I am on a journey, not perfect at this by any means, but I created a habit of creating more and more love for myself and the people around me and the communities around me with loving people. I have such a long way to go, but there is progress. Earlier this spring, during one of those 90-degree days, I wore a two-piece two bathing suit, a fat kini as it's called. It was hot, and I had another bathing suit that covered up more of me, but it was really hot, and I was like, nah, I'm wearing this fat kini. So I went to the beach with my best friend and her daughters, one who's three weeks old, one who's three years old, and I played with my, god, my goddaughter, and I didn't care what people thought. I mean, I was chasing around a three-year-old most of the time, so I was busy, but I felt joyful, and I felt laughter, and we had so much fun. And I said, don't eat the sand a lot, and it was a beautiful time. And even just a year ago, I wouldn't have been able to experience that joy. I would have been too obsessed with what other people were thinking about my fat rolls. Without having put in work in years of therapy, 
coming to church, choosing to be a part of community that imperfectly reaches for love time and time again, and, and a community that stretches me. Fun with my goddaughter in my fat kini would never have happened. I would never have said yes to Black Lives Matter when they said, we need your help. In fact, I turned them down the first three invitations they, they extended to me. And I finally realized that was the wrong answer. That wasn't the loving answer, actually. I wouldn't have said yes to the speaking invitation, sharing my journey today. It just wouldn't have happened without cultivating that space inside for new things to emerge. And I'm still so far away from other things I dream of, a partner, a family, but I know that if I continue to curate love, to keep choosing love, to keep seeking to understand it, and cultivating that space where the opportunities to experience these things can emerge, and more things can emerge, then they will. Of this, I am certain. But it's up to me to understand how to do what I can to help curate these opportunities, to recognize them, to choose them with open arms and say yes, 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 and to lovingly cast aside fear and step into imperfection because that's where we can find the joy. I'm aware that a lot of what has happened to me in my life has also happened because of my class and light skin privilege. It certainly didn't happen only because of that, but that was also a part of it. And I think this is where there's a bridge to our collective work. It's because our belief about being a loving people, a loving spiritual community, that means that we must continue to examine our privileges and powers that we have. We have a duty, an obligation to do so, while also creating and building and dreaming new worlds into being. In fact, those two go hand in hand. So our question becomes, how do we collectively wear a fat kini to the beach? <laughs> but also bigger, more systemic things, like how do we dismantle the prison system, which profits off the destruction of black lives and communities? How do we collectively recognize the need to destroy the current prison system and make space for what will emerge in its place? And whatever that is, will we have cultivated love enough to know how to make the system more loving than the cruelty of the system we've inherited. I believe that similar to my individual journey, we can do this in ways big and small. We can love better, we can cultivate spaces where loving responses can emerge, but it takes practice, mistakes, and commitment. That's how we all chip away at the poison, at what poisons our collective heart and it has to be a choice. Bell Hook says it this way in her book, All About Love. Love saves us only if we want to be saved. In some ways, I choose to be saved by love over and over again, and in some ways, I'm still too afraid, too fragile just yet, so I choose to be comforted by privilege. That doesn't make me a terrible person. It just makes me very human. It makes me a human born in the heart of the empire, which also means empires in our hearts. I believe this process, this practice, this habit of choosing love curates a space for new things to arise. And it makes that choosing of love easier and easier each day. And the choosing of comfort and privilege less appealing. Because at some level, love and privilege are incompatible. So because our needs are endless until our death, 
so too must our choosing and cultivation of love be endless so that new worlds can, be, can emerge and be sculpted into existence. I think as Unitarian Universalists, as movement people, and as organizers, we are dreaming of a world where everyone has love, security, joy, shelter, beauty, where everyone has health care. And not just that they have all of these things, but that each and every person is deemed worthy of all of these things. They aren't deemed worthy because of their light skinness, because of their education level, gender identity or expression, because of their income, because they own a house, because they have a master's degree. But they are worthy just because they are breathing. Love made manifest in this world is joy, is laughter, is shelter, is cooked meals together. It is glorious imperfection. And we have to take care in our dreaming. In our cultivation of space for new worlds to emerge, we have to take care that we don't dilute the power of love to such an extent that it becomes grotesque and harmful, as happens in some cases. Like when we equate systemic oppression with interpersonal conflict as equally harmful. Or when we pay unreasonable amounts of attention to the needs of the wrong person, the wrong person usually being the person who has the most privilege who are used to having all their needs met. Meanwhile, the person slowly suffocating under systems, oppressive systems goes quiet with shame, and we don't check in on them, or we douse their anger with our own shame instead of changing our behavior. So what are these kernels of knowledge that I talked about way at the beginning? Where do we go? All I can say is I joined this church in about 2009, I've put a little distance between me and the church for a variety of reasons, mostly because I'm out of town a lot for blue, um, but I remain connected, and I choose to do so because I keep choosing love, and this is a place that brings me back to gloriously imperfect love. And I have seen movement and opening and shifting. We keep shifting. I think change takes only as long as it takes for us to clear away our fears, in, beats, in bits and pieces, and, enough, and long enough for us to cultivate love. But we have to do so, we have to take care that our love is not perverted by our privilege or our power, and remembering that love only saves us if we choose it. So let's keep choosing it.